Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast uh, brought to you by tvsportsblog.com. Uh, I'm not sure my connection went a little bit funny there, but you guys are still with us. The panel is still with us, which is good. So uh, it's uh, not the ideal start, but we got there in the end. Right. Joining me this evening uh, are the usual panel, uh, plus the very brilliant Mr. Harry DeCosimo. Welcome, uh, first of all, to Dan DeLuca. How you doing, mate? Bear with me one second, mate. I cannot hear you. Uh, you might need to jump in and out of the stream, DeLuca. I'm not sure uh, what's going on there. Uh, Harry DeCosimo, you all right, mate? Yeah, I think, I'm not sure what is going on. The the wonders of the web are not helping us this evening, but we'll muddle through. How are you anyway, Harry? Yeah, the connection is terrible. Uh, Alavi, how are you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Harry. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm really good. Uh, thanks for having me back on. No worries, mate. I think your connection's a little bit delayed there. Took a while for that to come through. Alavi, how are you, mate? You all right? I'm good. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear, my friend. But Cosimo, do you want to just jump out and come back in, mate? Because uh, I think your connection's a little bit behind the rest of us. Uh, Dan, how you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still all right. Hopefully you can hear me now. Yeah, we can hear you now, mate. Absolute fucking disastrous start to the podcast. And it's happened two weeks in a row now, I think. Um, it's just, this is what happens when you do it live and you rely on the World Wide Web. Um, but anyway, on tonight's show, we've got lots and lots to discuss. We're going to start off by talking about some of the transfer rumours doing the rounds at the moment. Willian apparently has been offered a three-year contract by the Arsenal. Felipe Coutinho is said to also be on his way to the Emirates on a loan deal, which is interesting. Jaden Sancho uh, has apparently agreed personal terms with Manchester United. We've got Harry De Cosimo with us. He's going to be talking about what really happened with the Newcastle United takeover, which, as we know, uh, the Saudi-led consortium recently pulled out of. We're going to be talking a little bit about the playoff final, and we're going to be taking your questions towards the end of the show. So feel free to get those in as early as possible, and we'll pick out a few uh, and come to them towards the end of the show. Let's start off with the news that Arsenal have supposedly offered Willian a three-year contract. It's understood that he uh, was quite happy to stay at Chelsea, but they're not willing to meet his demands in terms of the length of the contract. Uh, Dan, first thoughts, you're not an Arsenal fan. You look at this from a neutral perspective. Would it be a good deal for Arsenal? Yeah, I think I think it would be. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good player, isn't he? Um, he... Arsenal seem to be lacking a, a number 10 he could play out wide as well, which which will clearly push Aubameyang into the forward spaces. But it gives an option also to play a force nine if you've got a decent number 10 behind you. So I think it would give Arteta some options. Um, he's He's been playing well as well, Willian. I think it was a blow for Chelsea that he wasn't available in the um, in the FA Cup final, clearly. So I think it would be a, a good bit of business on a free transfer. I don't think there'll be um, many better free transfers than that um, this summer. Yeah, agreed. I'm like I said on on a previous show. I'd, I'm happy to see Willian come in. I just hope that the terms are not the type of terms that 
really set Arsenal back in terms of the length of the contract, the size of the wages? Could that be a potential problem and hold the Gunners back from doing any future business? When you hear about how cash-strapped the club are um, at the moment, it is a bit of a concern when you think about his age. And, you know, if you're giving him a three-year deal, you could find after a year he's not performing anymore. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, imagine you give him a three-year deal and at 34, he's not performing anymore. I think he turns thirty-two very soon, if I'm not mistaken. I think how many, you know, if you look at Arsenal don't have though. I mean, you got like what Saka, Nelson, like you know, they're hardly two of the most renowned. Pepe, you know, he's not putting up any trees, is he? I know you like Aubameyang. I thought he was position, excellent but... in the final. <laughs> I know, but I mean, you look at teams that have won the league down the years, and they've all got players that can take on other players in that winger position. Even going back to the Arsenal days when they won the league, and they had. Um, you know, Perez, Lindbergh, Henri went out there. Well, you see, look at the Chelsea famous team, which had um, which had the likes of Robin and, and Cole and Duff. You know, City, Liverpool, both title winners the last two years. They've got players who can um, take covers on those winger positions. I just don't think Arsenal have that. So, you know, even Spurs have those type of players. And I think it's where Arsenal actually, on a free, be mad not to have him. You know, and I think Chelsea actually will see a loss if he goes. He's an underrated player, and I'm surprised that any Arsenal fan would turn him down, let alone on a free. Well, the thing is, he is, you say he's 31, he turns 32 in a few days' time, which I think is, is significant because he could end up being 30, what? If he's 32, he could be, if it's a three year deal, we could be stuck with him at 35. And if the wages are too much, it could be a problem. And, you know, Arsenal have announced today that they're making some redundancies. And I just want to quickly touch on that before we continue the transfer talk, because there's been a lot of uproar about it from sections of the Arsenal fan base on social media today. I put out a tweet about it saying that I get it. I understand why people are disappointed for those who are losing their jobs. Nobody wants to lose their job. It's a horrible thing to go through. Um, but we're going to see a lot more of this, not just in the football world, but in the business world in the next few months. If you take into account the circumstances, once that furlough scheme ends, Dan, that's just going to be a normality, isn't it? Yeah, I so. I mean, if you if you have a stadium that's got 60,000 seats in um, and normally you fill 40,000 and then now you're only allowed to put 20,000 in there, then there are staff there that aren't going to be used. So what, you know, the Arsenal Football Club aren't a charity, nor are any other football club in the Premier Division. Whilst it's, you know, morally nice to say, well, we'll keep paying you this money and we'll, because in the general scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. Well, that may be true, but it's still, you know, they're still ahead of staff. They're still business. They still have profit and loss accounts in each department. And the fact is, there's not going to be people coming to the football ground and people are going to lose their jobs. So I've not looked at the list of staff who have been laid off or what area they've come from. But, you know, the, the reality is there is a stadium that isn't going to have fans in it or as many fans in it for at least the next, you know, at least the next six months. And it's it's going to happen across the piece, if, if I'm honest. I know it's not very nice, but it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, agreed. Harry, what, what's your take on the fact that Arsenal are, are cutting back on staff? We've heard today that they're pl- proposing 55 redundancies. Um, it, it was something that was always going to happen, though, wasn't it, given the, the, the current circumstances? Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the way it's going to be across the board. I mean, I didn't hear what any of the guys were saying, unfortunately, but I, um, I think that that just not just Arsenal. I think across the board, as I say, Manchester um, United. Apparently, I read uh, today it cost them five million pounds per game every time they play traveling in front of an empty stadium. So that how how much it's going to cost? No, they're not wanting to hundred and eight million pounds for Sancho, but if you it's the same sort of principle. If you're going to spend, whether it's two hundred and fifty thousand pounds on a on a player, um, it's not going to look good if you're if you're then making people redundant. I think, but it, it it's a balancing act with these things. But obviously, you know, we'll, we'll come on to, to to Newcastle in a bit. But in terms of like balancing, you know, the human humanitarian things and and you know human real life things with footballing things. It, there's got to be a, it, it, it is wrong that you buy a player for for 50 for, you know for 50 player on big wages um, it, that's wrong if you're, not, if you're then going to make function you know on the pitch as well it's a, it's a difficult thing yeah it is indeed it is a really really difficult problem to deal with and it's something that a lot of clubs are going to face a lot of businesses are going to face and I just wanted to touch on that because I feel like Arsenal are being really heavily criticised for it and I understand all the arguments you know there's players earning mega salaries if Arsenal go and do business in the transfer window then it would kind of make a mockery of the fact that 55 people on regular salaries are going to get the chop I get all of that I just feel like the same people that are pointing the finger at the club and having a go about that are probably the same people that will be having a go at the club if they don't go out and spend mega money this summer. So there's got to be a balance, hasn't there? There's got they've to just be... gone first, haven't they? That's all it is. Yeah, like, that's, like, it. that's all it is. Like they've gone first before a lot of other clubs and a lot of other. Businesses. We had this in lockdown. Yeah, we had yeah, this yeah. in lockdown with a furlough, didn't we? First it was um, first it was Norwich, then it was then it was Daniel Levy furlough staff, and there was criticism. <clears throat> I think you know. I've got a bit of an issue just related to this with with what the Premier League with what the Premier League are doing, and I'll come on to that in a minute. But the fact is, you've got to flip it on his head. You know, what are these people going to be doing? You're going to carry on paying them, bring into the stadium to stand there and, and do what? They're not allowed in the stadium because of the COVID rules. So, are you going to pay someone to sit at home? Of course, you're not. So, whilst it's not very nice you know, any economical business, there are different departments and each department will have its different budget, its budget, and they'll be challenged to, you know, to cut their cloth accordingly in some areas. You can't just go out and buy six players without increasing your income some way or cutting back somewhere else. I know the two aren't comparable, but there will be a department for staff. There'll be budget and they're not being used. So it's it's as simple as that. And I think it will just like show you that Unfortunately, it will show a lot of businesses, football clubs, etc., yeah. that you can essentially survive without paying X, Y, and Z, and therefore you've got Look, to ask every to company. If you are paying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Every company in the world right now are looking at how much office yeah. space they can sell and how many people can still work from home. Well, that office space has cleaners. Yeah. It will have like a, a you know a facilities manager or whatever, and that's it. And that's just how it is. My they issue in twenty is, years, but they're doing it now. That's all it is. Yeah, but, yeah. My issue is is the five subs, the five subs thing. Because at the same time, we know football is going to have to face cutbacks. We know staff, we have to be laid off, like working working men, if you like, opposed to, you know, the luxury big wages. 
And at the same time, you've got the Premier League saying, well, now you, you're allowed five subs. So you're essentially forcing clubs to spend more on players than they otherwise would have in a time where the economy is a bit stretched. I don't agree with that one bit. I think that's the bit that leaves a bit of a sour taste with, in, in my mouth. It's not, it's not an Arsenal thing. You've got the FA essentially changing a rule that forces you to increase your playing squad and increase your salary in a time where economically the rest of the clubs are being stretched. I don't agree with that one bit. But in terms of laying off staff, there's no need for them. There's no job for them to do. It's just it's as simple as that. You can't go on the yeah. street selling programs. There's no one there. Yeah, it's, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one because, like Harry said, you've got to try and find the the balance between doing what's morally right, but also keeping your business uh, healthy. And at the end of the day, as much as people, you know, there's a lot of football fans that get sort of a little bit prickly when you call their football club a business, but ultimately. They're all businesses nowadays. That's what they are. And we have to accept that. You know, to us, that's not what they are. To us, they're a football club, something we're extremely passionate about. But unfortunately, it is what it is. And that's the world we live in. Um, Harry, we had some issues with your connection. Let's see if we, if it's all OK. Now, what's your take on the rumours linking Felipe Coutinho with a move to Arsenal? Barcelona are in quite a bit of a mess financially it's understood that they'll be happy to loan him to Arsenal uh, for the time being just to get a significant portion of his wages off of their bill do you think that would be a good move for the Gunners no Harry we've uh, we've lost you mate the connection uh, is not coming through um Alavi, your thoughts on Felipe Coutinho? I know you're you were a big fan. Uh, you're quite big on Spanish football. He hasn't really had the career he would have liked in the Camp Nou, but he's still a player, isn't he? Uh, yeah, but what you've said, I probably was able to stand behind because we had this debate a year or two ago when um, there was some interest. I probably just can't stand behind it anymore. If I'm completely honest, you have to think. Are Barcelona desperate to offload him because they have so many great players in that position? Not really anymore. They're, they're desperate to offload him because he's really, he's really struggled out there. Um, I don't know. It's been reported that it's at a quite an advanced stage. Um, obviously, he's, at, he's technically still at Munich, isn't he? Um, and, he? And they don't want him there permanently. So when you've got essentially two clubs that don't like you... <coughs> and you went for 145 million two years ago, then something's gone wrong. And we, we had this debate about De Gea, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, like, can you just lose it? Uh, I think he maybe just has lost it. And actually, if you're talking about a decent lump sum for Coutinho or taking Willian on a free, I'd probably take Willian on a free if I was um, uh, an Arsenal fan. Obviously, you've got our friend who's the agent of Coutinho, isn't he? if I'm not mistaken. Kia Jurabchan, so is it? I'm yeah, not 100% sure must, about that. I'm yeah. pretty sure. He's, yeah, he's, I think he's, he's yeah. Willian as well, isn't he? He's both yeah. of them. Um, obviously, he's already bought Luis there, hasn't he? He's already bought um, Cedric Suarez there. I think he's definitely... Yeah, he's, he's Willian's as well. Um, yeah. So, no, I, I don't know. Does he really fill, fill you up with that interest? I know he's like Brazilian. I know, he, you know he's got that glamour. He's got that glamour about him. Um, but... I don't know. I just think they're just looking to get rid of unwanted stars, and there's a reason that Barcelona want to um, to get rid of him at the moment. Um, I don't know. They also want to sell 
um, what's his name? Uh, Jean-Claire. Uh, I'd maybe Jean-Claire. look at him instead. That's the one. I'd maybe look at him instead. To be but is there, an, is there an argument? Like I know you, you say, you know, it's Barcelona just trying to offload and, and I get all of that. But Dan, isn't there an argument that those are exactly the type of opportunities that Arsenal are going to have to be very aware of and, and be very sort of willing to do in order to get themselves back to where they belong and try and close the gap on the top four because we know they don't have the finances to go out and splash massive money on on people. We've just been talking about them making staff redundant. So is that the kind of deal that we're just going to have to take if it comes along? I think like a minute ago when you said, well, football clubs are a business now. So there's two different questions. Do I want the player or do I want the deal? Um, I think, you know, I'd be happy for Tottenham to take a punt on him on the right terms because it could work and he'd be fantastic. If you've got on a loan deal, you give him back. You haven't really lost a lot. Um, but from a business perspective and a club perspective, if I'm an Arsenal fan now, I'm kind of looking at it and saying, well, when when is the, the loan sort of environment going to end? Because we've had the last couple of years of loans and structured deals and almost like we're gambling on getting in the Champions League. That hasn't happened this year. It could happen next year. There's another avenue to do it for the Europa League still. Um, but there's got to come a point where we're not looking for to loan players as a football club and we're actually looking to, to buy someone outright to actually compete with the biggest clubs in the country and then in Europe again. So I'd be a bit worried ignoring a player that we're talking about another loan deal for Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal really should be in that sort of market, if I'm honest. Um, but Coutinho himself, yeah, I guess a bit like a little lad he's saying there, if you're a, a mid-table club, um, sorry, if you're, um, if you're Arsenal or Tottenham or... Wolves or whatever you've got two options don't you? you either pick a, a player with potential and hope it comes to fruition like Pepe or you pick someone on his way out of a big club and hope he hasn't fallen too far you know either way it's a gamble so taking a punt on Coutinho on loan I think it'd be I think it'd be a it'd be a sensible enough move like what's the worst that could happen he's shit yeah. you give him back um, or the worst that can happen I guess sometimes is if you haven't got a proper obligation to buy in there and then he's that's really, really I good. Thought, yeah, that I thought yeah, there was a really good. like a lump sum, yeah. Yeah, so that's important. Well, you haven't got that. I say he turns up and he's brilliant. He bangs in 25, 25 goals. He's pulling strings again, which he's capable of. I saw him this season at, um, at um, yeah. Tottenham and he, he, he looked fine. You know, he, he, played, he played really, really well. He was, he was looking pretty good. So, you know, there's still a player in there. And if he does really, really well and then you want to buy him and then someone like Man City say, oh, actually, oh, he's still quite good. We'll buy him then you put all this investment into him. So the way the deal is structured for me is what, what would tip it in, in the balance. But as a player, like why not? It's, you've taken punts on Pepe for £72 million. Why not, why not take a punt on Coutinho? He's only like 28, 29. Yeah, good, good stuff. Uh, Harry, are you back with us? Can you hear me loud and clear? Yeah, I can hear you now, hopefully, anyway. Good, good stuff. What's your take on, on Felipe Coutinho? If you were Mikel Arteta... If you were Mikel Arteta, would you be gambling on Coutinho? I, I listen to what DeLuca was saying. I completely agree. I think as a player, you know, why not? But as a deal, it has to be right. But also, it does worry me that, again, every there's a Chelsea in, in a sense, but again, with, with Arsenal, for probably, what, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago, every year we come to the end of the season, we go, they've got defensive issues. And yet they're linked with three or four attacking players. 
I think that's that's my biggest gripe. It's not about Coutinho. I think he's a very good player. I think he's worth, you know, a go for, for Arsenal because they've got to be talent-wise. It's unlikely that they're going to get a better player. But in reality, defensive issues are, are, the, tr- are the problem uh, and, and they need to be fixed. Yeah. That's why I yeah. mentioned the, the kid that... Um, uh, what's his name now? Tadebo. I think that's... Tadebo. Tadebo. Why not go for a centre back? Why not go for someone who? What? what, what how yeah, old are they? Who, who are you talking about? Because you said three different names. I'm not. I'm confused. Who are you talking about? Uh, Jean. Who's the kid Everton at one? Is it Jean Pierre Tadebo? Something like that. Jean Pierre Tadebo. That's the one. Same thing. Why not invest in a centre back? Like why? Why? Why put all the resources into like a Coutinho? Why not well, invest in a decent centre back? Like why let Everton have him? What's the point? But I think it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's unrealistic to expect. Um, to expect Arsenal to go out and spend big money on a centre-back now. And I know we can argue that it's what's needed, but when you look at the fact that they've signed David Lewis up on, a, on another year, they've signed Pablo Marie on a permanent deal, okay? They've got uh, Callum Chambers still to come back. And I'm not saying that oh. any of these players are good enough. I'm not, saying, I, I'm not saying that any of these players are good enough. I'm just simply saying that Arsenal have gone and, and spent money on Marie. They've given Lewis a new contract and they've spent 27 million on William Saliba, who's just joined up with us now. I don't think, as much as I feel like it's a position that Arsenal still need to strengthen in, I can't see them doing it. I really can't. The reports coming out from the club and from some of the sort of reliable sources are suggesting that they are in the market for another central defender. But is it going to be somebody that breaks the bank? Is it going to be a ready-made per- player? I don't think unless we shift the likes of Socrates out maybe um, this summer and possibly one more that we're going to see Arsenal do that, which is unfortunate. It's a little bit frustrating, but it's just the way I see it at the moment. Um, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. It's, it's a difficult one. Is this like, is Arsenal not, not learning lessons from the past? Because I know, and you yeah, will that- say, well, we've won, we've won three FA Cups in four years since it happened. But it's exactly the same for me as when, like, Ozil signed under Wenger, where it was clear that the defence needed fix, fixing. Um, I know you was on a trophy drought then. That trophy drought quickly ended and has continued as, as, as an indirect result of that for, for whatever reason. Great stuff. But in terms of progression as a football club, you've not made that progression in the league. In fact, you've gone backwards. So it just feels... It feels a bit like deja vu in that respect, where you're looking at Arsenal now and you think, well, we've got a top, top striker there. We're going to try and keep hold of him. Sing- similar to Van Persie. Okay, Van Persie left, but Bamiang might not. There is some support in behind um, that's decent enough. And then the problems are the defence is not really solid in defence midfield areas. <clears throat> so to go and buy two number 10s to then compete with each other, it, would, it, it just feels a bit wasteful. Feels a bit wait. It feels a bit wasteful, and I know you can't just go out and pick whatever play you want off the street. But there must be a way of prioritising the back line because you kind of feel with if Arteta could eliminate individual mistakes from the back line, he could easily post a points total with the attackers he's already got that gets Arsenal in and around third or fourth place without without too much effort. Yeah, I just wonder I mean, what the strategy is at the club. Like, is there does a director of football start? You know get involved in this sort of stuff is there anyone looking after the longevity of the team well but it depends it depends how Mikel Arteta sees Willian and Coutinho as players because 
like we've we've said, you know, Willian, you could argue that he's a winger or you could argue that he's a number 10. Coutinho is another one who has is no stranger to operating from the left-hand side. Could he be part of the midfield? Um, you know, there, there are options with those players that you, you don't know exactly how Mikel Arteta sees them. And that makes it difficult to judge whether it would be wasteful, whether it is um, a problem. Do you see what I mean? It just makes it a little bit confusing, a little bit strange. And, and that's uh, sort of my issue with it. I don't really know um, how he sees those two players and where he sees them fitting in. I don't know. I think Arsenal's best two wings at the moment at the club. Well, I was going to say Arsenal's probably best two wings at the club at the moment are Perez and Lundberg, aren't they? Not associated with the club. <laughs> like this. No, like who else would you say is a proper out and out? Well, yeah, know, but it Coutinho, depends. Willian. I know we get into this whole like who like modern day football positioning, but actual proper wingers that still exist in the Premier League. How many do Arsenal have compared to, or could play there prop at a higher level compared to the other top five, six? Even Wolves have more. No, I mean, I mean, if you're gonna have if you're gonna have Pierre Emerick Aubameyang occupying one of those positions, that's one. That's because you like him there. <laughs> Mate, the stats prove it. The statistics mm. prove it. In fact, I'm gonna bring them up on the screen right now because I have this debate time and time again and people say to me oh no but he needs to play through the middle he needs to play through the middle that's just uh, it's an absolute myth and I'm going to prove it to you now by showing you these statistics here I'm just going to share my screen with you guys bear with me a second you've missed an opportunity to to show us a whiteboard oh yeah well (laughs) I can't really reach it at the moment I'd be a little bit stretched there you go. Right, look at these stats. It's on your screen now. Those of you listening on the audio, I'm going to go through this with you so you can hear as well. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang this season, he's played as a centre-forward 15 times, scored seven goals and provided one assist. On the 17 occasions that he's played as a left winger, he scored 12 times and provided two assists. That proves that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a more effective proposition from that area of the pitch. And the reason for that is because he's able to get into those half spaces and arrive without being constantly picked up by the central defenders. He gets in that awkward space between the centre-back and the full-back and he isolates people when they play with a back three, as we saw him do to Chelsea the other day. So, you know, there is there is credence to that argument that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is better suited to that position, but it requires a centre-forward who's going to play almost like a false nine, like Lacazette has been doing, who's going to drop deeper and create those spaces in behind for you. So lots and lots to think about for Mikel Arteta, but that's kind of just my uh, take on it. Um, Let's move on to talk about the the playoffs and the playoff final. Um, We're joined by another guest. Um, Welcome, Michael. How are you doing, mate? Can you hear us? Yeah, all good. Thanks, guys. How are you? Good. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Welcome to the show. Um, Fulham fan, Fulham season ticket holder, Fulham man. Um, how are you feeling after last night? Because uh, I've got to be honest, I was working on the game um, and I found it awful to watch. Um, I was devastated when it went to extra time because it meant I had to spend another half an hour watching it. Um, but you must be relieved because your team are over the line. I'm relieved because the game's over, mate, to be honest. Um, I'm I've, exactly the same as you. I think everyone thought it was a complete, completely boring game, to be perfectly honest. But uh, yeah, a mixture of happiness because we're obviously... I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit torn, actually. It's, it's a mixture of happiness and relief, but I'm a little bit torn because I love the championship. 
I think it's a fantastic league. And uh, with us getting promoted, obviously, if you're in that position, you want to win it. But um, a little part of me that's a little bit, uh, let's say, disappointed that I'm not spending another league, another season in the championship because I think it's a fantastic league, very competitive. And um, in all honesty, we're not going to be challenging next season, are we? So uh, the um, the best we can hope for is a, a mid-table or, or safety finish. So uh, it's a little bit of a, it's a difficult one for me. I'm, I'm pleased, but at the same time, like I say, I'm going to miss the champ. What have you made of Scott Parker? Because he's he's obviously received a lot of praise because of obviously getting Fulham straight back up. He's done a he's done a good job, in my opinion. Um, I look at Scott Parker, and I'm not sure if he's got what it takes to to keep Fulham in the division. I also look at that squad, and I'm not necessarily sure if that's right. And uh, you know this, uh, and I don't mean to sort of like have a go or, or anything like that. But I felt like looking at Brentford and the way that Brentford operate in terms of their model and the way they recruit players and the way they do such good business that they might be better equipped to stay in the division. Is there an expectation that Fulham are going to have a really, really hard time next season? Because they've spent before when they've come up and it didn't necessarily work. So is there a concern about that That was their mistake, wasn't it? I'll let Michael answer. But that was their mistake. I think they overspent when they last came. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I think in terms of the first point, Scott Parker... He's obviously an ex- he's fairly inexperienced. It's his first managerial role. It's his first season fully in charge at the club. Um, and obviously he's done well to get us this position of getting promoted to the Premier League, which is the, the whole aim. The whole aim for the club was to get back. So doing it first time of asking, I think he, he deserves a lot of plaudits and a lot of um, a lot of applause for it. However, he is, to your point, he's inexperienced. He's learning on the job. Um, learning on the job in the Prem is going to be tough. Uh, especially, like you said, with the, with the sort of the players we've got, the the way they play, the mentality, it's changing, it's improving. But I think Scott Parker mentioned it last night after the game that there's still a lot more that needs to be done. There's a lot of improvement still to come. So I think um, I think he, he deserves a lot of plaudits. But at the same time, it's undoubtedly going to be tough for him next season. The only flip side of that is is he's got Stuart Gray next to him so the assistant coach he's very experienced he's been, been there before with Fulham he's been in the Premier before um, he knows what he's doing so he, he has got experienced shoulders to, to call upon next to him so I think he'll be alright he, he's had a difficult time with the fans and more and more fans are warming to him but he's had a difficult start in the first season or so with some backing him some wanting him out immediately so um, so I think I'm overall in personal opinion, I'm pleased with how we've done it. And I'm pleased for Scott because he, he can see the passion that he's got for the club, the emotion that was coming out last night. Um, I'm pleased for him, but undoubtedly it's going to be challenging next season. And in terms of Brentford, um, I agree. I think they're, they've got, they've had a bit more time to build that though, I think. So the way their ethos, the way they play football is built over a number of seasons. And, they um, clearly have got one of the, the most lethal strikers in the, in the league at the minute, Volley Watkins, now that Mitrovic has gone as well, obviously, into the Prem. But uh, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're right, to be honest. I think Brentford have got a, a more consistent style of, of approach and style of play to compare to Fulham. We're still, we're still in that period where we're adapting to the heavy losses we took in the Premier League. And yeah, great, fantastic, we've bounced back, but there's still a lot of mill that needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Would you try and uh, nick Ollie Watkins from Brentford? Because we've heard today, um, you know, I think it's £16 million is the release clause that is now uh, 
a thing because Brentford have failed to um, to earn promotion. He feels like he's worth a punt at that price. Finished just a goal behind Mitrovic in the top scorers table. I think I'd give it a go if I was someone coming up into the Premier League. He works hard, he's industrious, and he's added goals to his game this season. I know in previous seasons, people have argued that maybe he's not always been prolific enough, but he looks a real player and somebody that could help Fulham. And if they've got the money, then why not? Yeah, completely agree. Funnily enough, I was actually saying this to a few guys last night and this morning, that um, if we got the opportunity to take Ollie Watkins, I'd, I'd definitely take it. I, I think he'd be second fiddle to Mitrovic because uh, the, the way in which we're playing at the minute, um, we use a lot of pace on the wings and I think Ollie Watkins would fall foul of that. He'd, he'd end up being on the bench because we use Mitrovic as a pure out-and-out target man to hold up the ball and that's all he does. He's not got the pace of Watkins. It's a different style of approach. So um, I think he'd play, end up playing second fiddle and that's the bit where I'm, oh, I doubt whether he'd want to do. I can see him at a, a smaller club in the Premier League. I can't see him be, going to one of the big guns just yet. But um, 100%, if we had the opportunity to sign him and if we changed our formation and played two up top with Mitrovic and Ollie Watkins, delighted. If he was playing second fiddle, obviously I'd be happy as a fan, but I, I can't see him going for that. I think he'd want to be playing week in, week out if he was in the Premier yeah, absolutely. Um, let's just talk about Brentford a little bit as well. Um, while you're here, and Michael, you'll be able to chip, it, chip in with this, being a, a, somebody who's followed the championship, I'm sure, a lot closer than, than we have. Dan, with Brentford, we've talked about their model, the way they recruit players. You do fear now, though, don't you, that that team is just going to be pulled apart by all the Premier League vultures and that if they didn't make it this time... It's very unlikely, unless they rebuild again and quickly, that they're going to do it next season. Yeah, like Mike said, there it's been it's been three or four years for Brentwood just on the just on the peripheries when they they got promoted and then they came close, just missed out on the playoffs, and then they've had a couple of other and they've progressively got better. Um, this this time, this will be a really tough one to recover from because ultimately they've um, they've bottled it, haven't they? Um, that's the reality of it. They they went on a, an outstanding run. I think they won nine games in a row either side of the lockdown, which got them in a place where, you know, one win from their last two league games would have would have got the job done. And they were both against relegation candidates and they've lost them both. So to pick yourself up after that, you know, Leeds did it. But um have Brentford got that that degree of pedigree, that degree of experience in a manager, I'm not so sure. So I, I was gutted for Brentford with respect to Mike when they didn't go up yesterday, because I think over the course of three or four seasons, I thought they really deserved it. Um, I'd have liked them to have been rewarded for, for the three or four years combined. I kind of felt that Fulham would have the ability to go again. Um, but ultimately, they've lost the game because they didn't have that that top-level experience to get them over the line on three separate occasions. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a shame for them. And I, I, don't, I don't think Brentford are going to be in a position next year where you know they'll they'll be they'll be up there for automatic promotion so they'll be you know trying to get into the playoffs again it's going to be really difficult but looking at their, their squad you know um uh, Ben Rahama he's obviously got a hell of a lot of plaudits and rightly so um I can imagine a couple of a couple of Premier League teams in the bottom half trying to trying to snatch him Ollie Watkins maybe um I'd always be weary of when a club comes up and they buy a striker from the same division that they've just come up from, I always worry about that. You never quite know how they're going to take. And I think Fulham might be better better pushed to get some some new options. I think with Fulham, they've got 
they've got a couple of players who have been at the club last time they were in the division, in the Premier Division, who are still there. But there's a couple of them who were really poor. Um, so I don't know if they're going to try and address those gaps. So Tim Ream, I'll, I'll say it, Tim Ream is the worst central defender I've seen in the Premier League in my entire life. So do Fulham really want to... Thanks for holding back there, last season with him there? <laughs> I'm not so sure. So there's a, there's a bit of work to be done on both 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 counts. But, you know, you've got to just be happy you've been promoted enjoy the four week pre-season or whatever it is which is not a long time not a long time to fix things either so there's another thing that Fulham have got to take into account that no one else has had to before where they've only got a few weeks to kind of build a squad ready yeah. to ready yeah, to start absolutely. a different fight Guys, just going to pause you there for a minute. If you're watching us live on YouTube at the moment and you haven't hit that like button, why the hell not? Hit the button now. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you're listening via the audio, don't forget to leave us a review as well. Uh, Michael, one final thing I wanted to sort of pick your brains on. And I noticed this a little bit in the last couple of weeks when I've been sort of doing research on games prior to sort of covering them. I really like Thomas Frank. I had the pleasure of meeting him. I covered Brentford's first game at the start of the season. He was brilliant in the press conference afterwards. He came and shook everybody's hand. He took time for everybody. But there are opposition fans that he's beginning to rub up the wrong way. He's made some comments about Brentford are going to be in the Premier League and this and that. And he's just been a little bit, I don't know, he's been a little bit divisive. What's your take on Thomas Frank? Is he somebody that you feel... Uh, is uh, a little bit well, sort of acting above his station, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, in all honesty, I've not thought of that too much about him. The only the only uh, individuals at Brentford who did start to aggravate other plan- other uh, clubs was Emiliano with his yeah. comments about <laughs> Fulham are going to fear Brentford in the playoff mm. final, and you've seen the amount of memes that are coming out probably um, already about that. So uh, he clearly is. Um, He's clearly uh, sort of rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. But to be honest, Thomas Frank and the people that I know around Fulham and um, and other other fans that I know in the uh, who are close friends who are fans of um, other clubs in the Championship, not really that fussed about. Them, to be perfectly honest, I think Brentford, like you said earlier, they'll be there or thereabouts in um, next season. I think a few of the top players will go. But I think they'll be there. They'll be there or thereabouts for playoffs. I think they've they've got a few decent players who will probably be there next season, like Pontus Janssen, who's um, mm-hmm. probably one of the most underrated players in the league, to be honest. But um, I think they'll be there or there or thereabouts. But Thomas Frank, who he did start, yeah, yeah. Did he? <laughs> um, who? yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Played centre. Yeah, he did. Yeah, centre. I didn't. Oh, Oh, sorry. I was going to say he didn't have because Mitrovic didn't start. I thought he, he maybe got let off for a yeah minutes or so. I'd like to see him. Sorry, if, if he's a solid start, player. I'd like to see how he was composed because he's quite composed. Um, yeah, I guess Michael. The only thing is the chairman getting credit, Khan, because obviously he gave Parker the job, and I think Parker what had won three games out of nine, something like that, in the Premier League when he took over from Ranieri when they're all but doomed. And when he did take over, I think everyone was like, why are you giving him this guy a job? He's just cemented our place in the championship. He's, <laughs> he's won three out of nine. He doesn't look like he's going anyway. He's got a squad of players that we've overspent on. And actually, now look at what he's done. So are people getting, not just behind Parker, obviously, but the chairman as well, because there were some doubts a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, I know that it went wrong when we was in the Premier League before, but... 
the amount of investment that Khan put forward for the, mm. uh, the Premier League go, I think a lot of fans at that point warmed to him, regardless of how it went in the end and it obviously went wrong. I think the, the intent shown by the chairman um, was clear and a lot of fans warmed to him at that stage, thanking him for what he was trying to do. And then going down to the Championship, many, people, many fans at Fulham thought that it was the right thing to do to give Scott Parker the role because... Yeah, he only won three and nine. But if you look at the rest of the record of, under a very experienced manager in Ranieri, we were atrocious. So Parker had a massive impact. And I know it's only three wins out of nine, but it was a significant improvement. And he, he actually got um, some energy and urgency back into the team again, which the fans which the fans were thankful for. So, um, so yeah, I think they're definitely, they warmed to the, the chairman at that point. And then I think with the, the championship season, He's actually been a bit quieter than he was previously. And I think that's, that's him purposely doing that to let the fans warm to Scott as a main man yeah. and try and allow the team and him the time and space to deliver on what they were all aiming for and getting back to the Prem. He's already come out, I think it was on Instagram or something the other day, uh, last night saying as soon as we, we did it, he was back in saying, we tried it last time, it didn't work. We, we've done it this time and we're going to invest again. So um, mm-hmm. so I think the, the fans are behind him and clearly there's intent there. The, the, the intention from the chairman remains the same. Um, obviously the ultimate owner, Shahid, and then his son, Tony, that they want for them to be a long-term Premier League club again, a sustainable Premier yeah. League club, which obviously we'd be delighted about. So uh, fingers crossed it happens this time. Of course. Michael, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Congratulations to Fulham on your promotion. Um, It's a decent away game for us. It's down the road, nice and easy. (laughs) Uh, Craven Cottage is a nice place to go as well, so why not? Welcome back to the Premier League, and I'm sure we'll catch up uh, throughout the next season at some point uh, when Arsenal come face-to-face with with Fulham. We'll get you on board. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Cheers, mate. All the best. Bye. Brilliant. That was uh, Michael Fulham it's funny, fan. It's funny. Do you think there's something in that? Because I found out following Barnett, you know, like, it's a really good point that he made. So when Barnett were, and by the way, a Barnett player was Hector 10, year, 10 years ago. He was at Barnett. Now he's at Fulham. He was brilliant last night. Um, I always found that, like, winning the conference was really fun. But then going up and being in League Two or Division Three. Even though you were in a yeah, better only, league. Only if, it, only if you can't handle it. Only if you're shit and you can't handle but, it. They probably know. I that. think. Do you know? What? I think. <clears throat> no, there's a difference. Sometimes it's nice to be a big fish and know and win and be and then actually struggle a little bit in the even though it is the Premier League. It was quite interesting. I've heard that theory before. It's quite interesting. There's a difference between there's a difference between a fan who goes to a game mm-hmm. and a fan who 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 supports a club loosely. If you if Tottenham got relegated. I would go to every single away game in the championship. I'd have That's a what I mean. Fun. That's exactly right. what I mean, yeah. I, w- I watch like Spurs. a season ticket holder, isn't he? Yeah. So he probably enjoys... Yeah. yeah, and that's the difference. Like, every Saturday going, oh, I've won, like, we've won. Like. It's not even about the winning, it's about the experience. So I, I've seen Spurs in Europa League a whole load of times. I don't like the tournament. It's got worse progressively in the year Spurs have been out of it. Now we're back in Europa League. But going to the away games in the Europa League, I enjoyed them. Doing that for a season or two, like, for a fan, it's great. You're just watching your team play another team. You're going on an away day, you're going to see different grounds. So I think that's that's the difference. I think that's what he's saying. He's enjoying the experience yeah. of 
of watching Fulham in that environment. <coughs> Whereas now, now like, um, like their second place like, to go down. Yeah, you know, when, you know when Spurs were really shit and they were finishing 14th, 11th, 12th or whatever, and you'd, you know, you'd have a good win. And now, 10 years ago, you'd lose two games in September and there'd be like a massive, oh, you're not going to make the top four anymore. So I oh, don't give a shit. Like it's September, just chill out, like, worry about yeah. it in March. And yeah. I think it's that sort of environment in the championship. You've got 46 games, nice games under the lights that, you know, generate good atmosphere. All of them will be gone. So it's a different environment for, um, for, for clubs. Cool. Right. Let's, uh, let's get you guys to start putting some of your questions in the live chat. And we're going to come to some of those in just a few minutes time. There's one more subject we're going to touch on before we do that. We're going to talk a little bit about Newcastle United. We hope that Harry would be able to be with us to do that. Um, but unfortunately he's having some connection issues. We tried it a few times and it just wasn't working. Um, so we're going to park Harry's uh, contribution and we'll bring him back on another future show to go a little bit more in depth about it. But like I said, Leave your questions in the live chat. We're going to come to a few of those before we wrap up the show. We heard last week that the proposed takeover of Newcastle United uh, had collapsed because uh, the proposed buyers of the club had decided to pull out. Now, they say that it's because they couldn't be sure of what things were going to be like in the future, etc., etc., etc. But the, the, the real reason is that the Premier League have delayed and they have delayed and they have delayed giving this deal the approval that it needs to get over the line. We know that the directors and owners test um, or whatever it's called nowadays normally is a four week process and it began in April and there was still no answer. No wonder they got fed up. Um, for me, I've got a pretty good idea in my mind of, of what the issue was that prevented it getting over the line. Dan, there were a whole host of them, though, weren't there? There were human rights violations. There were piracy issues. There were, uh, there were It was unclear what the actual structure was going to be, who the directors were going to be, who was going to call the shots. And there was so much stuff going on that just prevented this getting over the line. Do you agree with me when I say that the piracy issue is probably the one that has stopped this happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the only one. That's the only one. That's the, all the other stuff. There's never bothered anyone before, has it? It's the piracy issues. It's the Premier League not willing to concede ground to someone who's potentially undermining their business and allowing people to stream stream their product. It's as simple as that. So, if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be absolutely livid. Um, if I'm honest, you know, when it comes a month after Manchester City have been found guilty of breaching financial fair play, find any way and let off. You, you read that statement, the the one from um, Cass, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yet the Premier League won't allow Newcastle, who are a pretty self-sustainable club, um, to be fair. They won't allow them their, their, their 15 minutes in the sun. Oh, I think it's you'd be fuming if you're a Newcastle fan and you've had to endure that, that agony. Um, I don't believe, you know, I don't, believe if you wanted to buy a football club that badly you wouldn't pull out just because you were made to wait would you um there's obviously no. a not if you waited like, for you for yeah you, well you're that rich you just sit in saudi arabia until you get a phone call wouldn't you or you know, to say okay we'll we'll start tomorrow it's not a big deal is it you don't have to you're gonna have a deadline they're not gonna go and buy another club you know if i went shopping for like a pair of trainers and i had to wait 45 minutes and i'd be like well i'll go to a shop and get another pair of trainers then like fuck you 
they're not buying another club. They, this is the Premier League not allowing that consortium to to invest in the Premier League. It's as simple as that for me. I do yeah, find the I, whole. I like looking back to when we were growing up in Newcastle, where you know you had the Sugar Puffs advert and Ferdinand and Shearer and Ginola and like a lot of Newcastle <laughs> fans. Do you not remember? A lot of Newcastle fans must have just thought, right, this is our time to be one of those. Um, clubs again you know and I think that's why they're in uproar because, but what I don't get is they, they do things like right we're going to get 80,000 signatures for an independent <coughs> investigation to the, the Premier League and the Premier League have to be transparent as to why this process has you know not been complete. it's like you can't appeal these things like what they the Premier League aren't going to overturn this um this decision you know and they're like oh you know they're silent and because the Premier League are currently silent on this, they don't have to, you know, they're guilty. No, they don't have to make a massive statement. And I think sometimes when you're ingrained as a support in your club, you just feel that, you know, the the, the world just owes you this, you know, it's like you get yeah. a par- parking fine and you they know, don't oh, have to, I've they, appealed it and the police haven't replied to me in a day. Yeah, they've got better things to no, do. No, they, they don't have to, re- they don't have to reply to it. It's not, they're not obligated to do that. They don't have to, but a bit of transparency here, as to what the actual hold-up was, I think, is is good for football because not only is it being clear, and it's, it's, it's meaning that those Newcastle supporters can then put it to one side and move on. There is no reason that will be given, Harry, that's good enough for a Newcastle yeah, but why can't, to go, oh, right. Why can't... Yeah. Uh, it, Why can't look, Mike Ashley give him that? Why can't Mike Ashley? Mike, Ash- Mike, Ash- 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 I think they're less. Mike Ashley Mike Ashley is desperate. Mike Ashley is des- more desperate than anyone. Yeah, but he will know what the reason. He he's well, selling it. He, yeah, but he's yeah, not allowed surely. to break a, a, I think an agreement, is he? Exactly. I was just going to say he's in a violation of trust. That he cannot violate that trust within the deal. I'm pretty sure there's something in that that he can't comment. But don't you think, think. that if the if it is piracy, because we look, there's been a massive ongoing thing with being sports and Saudi Arabia, and we know that being sports are resp- responsible for a hell of a lot of the Premier League's revenue, and that is why the Premier League cannot, simply cannot, afford to rule against them. But do you not think it would do more for piracy if the Premier League actually made a point that that is the reason and said, this is the reason that we're not you know, we're not allowing this deal to go through. Wouldn't that send a massive shockwave through the piracy world and, and make people stand up and take notice that actually the Premier League are aware of exactly who the fuck is doing this? But and everyone still does it. Everyone's still going to do yeah, it. Apparently. Yeah, but people, listen, piracy <laughs> happens, but, but state-sponsored piracy is a different thing. It's a different kettle of fish. I mean, it's all right, fine. It, look, li- listen, we're from a Greek <laughs> background, right? I've had, pirate say, <laughs> I've had pirate sports channels all, for as long as I can remember. You know, I, I, for years, I've watched 3 p.m. games in the UK when I shouldn't be allowed to do that through pirate things. But we're talking about a guy on the corner of the street who's got a little side hustle, who's providing boxes to 10, 20, 30 people. We're not talking about a state-sponsored piracy issue. And that is what we're talking about here. We're talking about a country who blocked out the signal of being sport and began their own station and started streaming their stuff illegally. That has got to be a big enough reason to prevent the takeover. And whether Newcastle fans want to accept that or not doesn't really bother me, to be honest. They probably won't accept it, but tough shit. That's the rules. You, you can't give a Premier League club to someone who is directly stealing money from the Premier League. So... Come out, clear it up, tell everybody what the issue is, 
and they'll have to go away and resolve it. And then maybe then they can come back and try and buy a Premier League club. But I just think that all of this silence, this radio silence, it doesn't help anyone because you see different stories floating around. You see people getting wound up. You see Newcastle fans getting angry, getting upset, kicking off about it. You see, you know, the uncertainty just isn't good for anyone. That's, that's, but you know, that's my issue with it. But then equally, I get where Newcastle fans are coming from in the sense of the double standards being applied. And, you know, sporting events are taking place in Saudi Arabia nowadays because the money, the money is there. So the UK government, it feels like, you know, it's one rule for them. But this is the Premier League we're talking about. So I, I don't want to hear Newcastle fans kicking off at the Premier League. The, the, the fact is they've never prevented a, a, a takeover. A takeover like this has never really happened in terms of how high profile it's been and how much it's been under media scrutiny. But this one's come along and the Premier League, they, they can't just bend their rules because it's Newcastle. And that's my point. have to like retrospectively look at every takeover that's happened previously and see if there's something else that you could no, find like, them for or... Yeah, but because that's how law works, right? Like something becomes legislation and it's based on just, you know, one significant event happening and then it becomes a law almost. So, but you can't then go back over old ground. The law starts from when you put it in, isn't it? Okay, okay. So, say this is a privacy issue, right? So, say, say Arsenal have a takeover next month and there's another issue, but it isn't privacy, uh, a privacy issue. What, what's to say what's right to rule a rule out, uh, a takeover out and what's wrong? To rule over takeover. Well, that's, that's where it becomes complicated. No, but the Premier League have a clear criteria of what they go through for the owners and directors test. You can find it online. It's not a secret. But so to why, to, what, what would stop them coming out and just saying this was the reason? I just don't believe it's for exactly. the reason. Yeah, but what, what it, has, it, it could be... Com- no, I don't think they would. That's the point because they don't want to damage relationships. They're being so careful about it. And that's... That's why I understand the frustration from the Newcastle fans. I think it should just be clear, transparent when doing our investigations, when going through the Premier League owners and directors test. These were our findings or these were the the areas in which the proof that was in which the evidence produced to us was not satisfactory. And then if they go away and they sort their shit out, they can come back. Yeah, but they They don't have to now, do they? Because because. In the eyes of everyone, this other party have pulled out. Exactly. So the FA, as far as as far as the FA are concerned, they it's not the FA have broke the deal. Now we, we may know that's bollocks because we weren't born yesterday, but that's the reality of it. The other the other group have pulled out. So there's a yeah, sequence of events that have led to that. Yeah. If you were going to get a document that explained what happened in ten years' time and someone picked it up, Dan's right. It's going to say X party pulled out. It's not going to say yeah, FA banned. But X come on, we're like take like Dan said, we're not born yesterday. We all know that they've pulled out because it's taken four bloody months for something that normally takes four weeks. The the, the, the issue is so that why it don't becomes the group make a statement. So why don't the group make a statement and say the because, reason we had to pull out because, was because we were told. Because again, it goes back to that point. They don't want to no. damage relationships. For me, this is what the Premier League have done is purposely delayed this and dragged it out. They've not been able to pass this test. They've not been able to, to find the satisfactory evidence to say, yes, we'll allow this to go through. Therefore, instead of coming out and providing the reasons as to why they're going to have to reject it, they've decided to just stay silent and stay silent and stay silent and stay silent until they get fed up and walk away. And it's just, that is not on. And that's where I've got sympathy for the Newcastle fans. Because 
they should be given a reason as to why at least it doesn't have to say this is why we rejected it, but they should be able to say these were the hurdles that we encountered, therefore the process was delayed. And then, then, then it can maybe start to put two and two together and start to understand what exactly has happened there. But Steve Bruce must be happy. Yeah, Steve Bruce keeps <laughs> his job. So, yeah. I mean, look, I, I see it from both sides. I, I get why yeah. the Premier League haven't wanted to come out and sort of throw them under a bus. I get why the Newcastle fans are upset. But ultimately, it, it looks like it's done and dusted now. They've just got to hope somebody else comes along. Um, with an offer let's just pick up a couple of quick questions before we wrap up because I'm just conscious of time as well um, and Avi needs his beauty sleep as well <laughs> half nine it's a little bit a uh, little bit late through <laughs> we've got a question from Guna Glenn and this one's to Dan he says hi Harry can you ask the any stars out the Spurs <laughs> the Spurs fan does he really think Mourinho can get them back to the top four it's a genuine question yeah, I think he probably could. Oh, cheers for that, Dan. He, is, that, is that it? You want more? Um, cheers yeah. for the insight. <laughs> yeah. Don't go, um, don't go overboard. Yeah, I think I think he could. Obviously, I, I think it will depend on a little bit of backing. Um, I think if all the other clubs stayed exactly how they are now, I think he could. He only came five points away this time from a 12-point a, a deficit and had quite a few well-publicised problems, including no strike force for like six games. Um, I think he certainly could. If clearly Manchester United have invested, Chelsea have invested, it looks like Arsenal are going to invest. If Spurs don't invest at a similar level, then he won't be able to because there'll be better teams. I don't think it's any more complicated than that, really. But as a manager on his own, um, he could certainly get Spurs to, to, to fourth. Could he get Spurs to first? Definitely not. Just, but yeah, he, yeah, I think he could do. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hopefully he doesn't. I don't mean good stuff in that sense, but you know what I mean. Um, one more question I've got coming through. Um, this one is coming through on Facebook and it's not letting me bring it onto the screen for some reason. Try one more time. Hold on. No, it's from Chris anyway. And he asks... Uh, would I be looking to sell Lacazette this summer in order to raise some funds? This is a really interesting debate, and it's one. That's a great question. It, yeah, it's, it's one that I'm torn on. Obviously, it comes with the caveat that you have to tie Pierre Emerick Aubameyang down to be able to let Lacazette go. That is obviously important and plays a part. But Lacazette's contract has got two years remaining on it, and it feels like we're getting to the point now where you either give him an extension or you start looking to sell him. When this new Arsenal hierarchy came in, one of the things that they promised us was that they were going to do everything within their power to prevent players entering the final years of their contract without either signing an extension or being sold. It's a problem that has haunted Arsenal time and time again. Um, you know, it's a problem that we're facing right now, this summer. Is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going to sign or are we going to look to sell him? I think he's going to sign. Um, but... When it comes to Lacazette, I think it's a really, really interesting one. Is he indispensable to this Arsenal team? I don't think he is. Um, does he score as many goals as he should? I don't think so. And I'll be honest with you, two or three months ago, or probably just prior to the lockdown, I started to lose faith in Alexander Lacazette. I didn't think he was producing enough with, with enough regularity to warrant a place in the Arsenal side week in, week out. 
After the lockdown, we saw Mikel Arteta turn to Eddie Nketiah at times. And I think that's because of what he gave us up front in terms of energy and work rate. But to Alexander Lacazette's credit, in recent weeks, he's really, really picked up his game. He's played in this sort of false nine role. He's come deep. He's held the ball up for Arsenal. His link-up play has been really, really good. He's been tenacious. He's battled. He's done pretty much everything Mikel Arteta has asked for him. He's probably helped by the fact that Nketiah got that suspension because it meant that Arteta had no other choice in terms of his selection. But he's taken those opportunities. And so if Arsenal can do the business that they want without selling him, I'd probably keep him. I think he's got a great relationship with Aubameyang. I think you can't rely on solely Eddie Nketiah because he's so young. Um, and other than those two, we don't have another sort of, well, assuming that Aubameyang is going to continue playing from the left, we don't have another out and out centre forward. So based on that, unless the offer was crazy and the kind of offer that was going to allow us to go and break the bank and get a top player or was a make-weight, for example, to Atletico, who were interested in him before, incidentally, to bring Thomas Partey to the Emirates Stadium, then I, I, I don't think I would. Um, let's just quickly get you guys' take on that as well. Alavi, what's um, your take on yeah, Alexander think... Lacazette? Worth a keep? No, I'd probably, I'd actually, I think, is it Atletico Madrid? Showing a bit of an interest. Well, they showed from some interest me- from in him. memory. It was him, right? It was them, they right? showed some interest in him prior to him joining Arsenal, and it looked as though he was going to go there, and then he didn't. I've heard they've re- reignited there. They would be I open to. I, I don't know how true okay. that is. I, I would say before lockdown, from memory, I kept reading that he got something like five goals in seven hundred minutes or something ridiculous. So I don't think his record was great. I would probably look look at it. I know he. I know he works hard. I think people sometimes forget that he's finished with, what is it, 14 and 13 or something in the Premier League last couple of So his goals tally isn't bad. What I would say is I would cash in on him now whilst you've still got the chance and invest the money. Because if he doesn't have a great season next season, then you're going to get half the amount that you could probably, um, you could probably get for him, right? <coughs> and I just don't... Uh, I just, I just don't think that he, he's a sort of player that at the moment Arsenal should be rushing to make sure doesn't, you know, they've, they've got other priorities in terms of players that they need to stop um, moving out, moving out the window and at, moving out the door and actually maybe sending him frees up some, you know, money for a goal scoring midfielder. Um, so, I think what you're saying is, there's two different things. Are we happy to sell Lacazette because we don't want him to go on a free in a year or two, or Am I happy to sell Lacazette based on the fact that Arteta is allowed to use the money to bring another play in? They're two different things. One's just a financial element and the other's replacing him with a player. So it depends what's more important to the Arsenal fans. If, if I were an Arsenal fan and you gave me a better, say, another go- uh, a goal-scoring midfielder as, a, as, a, as a, um, a straight swap, I know he doesn't play there, then I would take it, definitely, yeah. De Luca, your take on uh, Alexander Lacazette scored a cracking goal against your lot not too long ago. He did. He's one of the best consolation goals I've ever seen. Um, is um, I would keep him. Um, let's assume. Let's assume a Bamiyang staying. Yeah. If a Bamiyang stays, I would keep Lacazette. Yep. If a Bamiyang leaves this summer, I'd sell them both, um, and then I'd, I'd rebuild. You, a Bamiyang is the main man. That's it. He's a striker. That's facts. You build your strike force around a Bamiyang. 
unselfish strikers who complement the main man are hard to find. You've got one. If Aubameyang stays, I'd keep Lacazette for that reason. There's got to be someone you can cool. sell Lacazette for and use that money to get more goals. Like, Jacques yeah, but you need goals. Sabalos yeah, yeah, goals. Gunduja yeah, but what I mean is... You know, okay, Harry, Harry, Harry Kane gets injured, you've got to bring nobody on. So, Aubameyang gets injured, you've got no Lacazette, he's gone. Are you really happy with Enketia leading the line right now? I'm not. So, you've got to factor that in as well. But then you've got the option to play both, but you've got Lacazette who's prepared to sacrifice so that the main man scores the goals. Apart from Firmino, can you think of many in the, like anywhere? No, They're hard not. to come by. So I think with Aubameyang, if Aubameyang commits to the club as the main striker for the next three years, I would keep Lacazette around the mm. club. I reckon he'll yeah. go, he'll go Inter as well. Lacazette, uh, no, I, personally, I, I don't see him going, but it is a question that... He's being discussed by a lot of Arsenal fans at the moment, particularly because of the Atletico Madrid thing and the fact that we're obviously so desperate to get Thomas Partey. And a lot of people feel that that would be sort of a make-weight in that deal. Um, and if it was, if we were able to get Partey, maybe it's worth letting Laka go. The maybe. thing is, we've, we've, we've tried <laughs> Absolutely to... Absolutely no-brainer. No, I don't know. I, you know, I like Thomas Partey. I think he's a decent player. Is he this world superstar that people make him out to be? I'm not so sure. I certainly don't think he is technically. I think physically he's a great footballer uh, or a great player in terms of his tenacity, his fitness, his, his, the fact that he's combative, etc. But is he technically a very good footballer? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I, I don't watch a great deal of Atletico Madrid. And whenever you watch them in the Champions League, it tends to be them parking the bus. So a little bit hard to gauge uh, what he would bring to the side sort of in a more advanced front so let's see um right that brings us to the end of the show we've run over again but it was uh it was well worth it um apologies for the technical issues right at the start um we had a couple of connection problems with some of our guests um but we are uh we managed to get through the show in the end we're back um and we'll be back again next week with another edition of the social club we're going uh, right through the summer this time around. It's a short summer and there's going to be plenty of stuff to discuss, I'm sure. Big thanks to tvsportsblog.com um, for sponsoring this show. As always, big shout out to John and the rest of the guys over there. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care. Ciao.